Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Well, good morning, Rev 22. As Jonathan said, my name is Josh. I serve as lead pastor at Trademark. And we do meet in the afternoons, which is interesting. I haven't been up this early on a Sunday morning in quite some time. So it's, uh, it's good to be with you all today. At the outset, I just want to say, if you do have a Bible with you, would you go ahead and turn to Psalm 13? If not, we're going to have PowerPoint, things like that up on the screen here. We're going to be in Psalm 13. But at the outset, I do want to say I'm just grateful for, as Jonathan said, the gospel partnership that we've been able to develop as a church over the last year. It's been 11 months, almost a year now, since we started meeting in your building in the afternoons. Uh, Our church, we are a small church. We are a church that's been replanted within the last two years. And so as we've been growing, we've kind of been in three different buildings over the last two years. And we're just very grateful for your generosity in allowing us to to share a building with you. I know it it may seem like, well, I haven't done anything, right? You, You may be thinking that I haven't done anything in this partnership. But if you've If you're a part of Rev and if you've been giving to support your church, if you did anything to remodel the building, you've been a huge part of the generosity that your church has shown to us. And so just on behalf of Trademark, our elders, and all of our members, I just want to thank you guys for the partnership that we've been able to develop over the last year. All right, with that, Psalm 13. If you're familiar with the Psalms, they meet us in some very personal places in our relationship with the Lord. The Psalms meet us in the heights of our joy in our relationship with God, but they also meet us in the depths of our despair. And they truly do cover just the full range of our human emotions in our relationship with God. They expose the depths of our souls. Uh, The great reformer, John Calvin, he called the Psalms the anatomy of all parts of the soul. In his commentary on the Psalms, that's literally what he called them, the anatomy of all parts of the soul. He said this, about the Psalms, he said, there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. You see what he's saying there? Is that all of our human emotions, our feelings, the depths of our soul, when we read the Psalms, they are exposed as if we are looking directly into a mirror. Psalm 13 meets us in a very personal place. And it's, it's a place that many of us have likely been. And if we've not been there in our relationship with the Lord, at some point we will. I'm talking about this place of being in a place in your relationship with the Lord where you feel as if he's forgotten you. Maybe you'd even use language so strong as to say like the Lord has abandoned me. And there's different labels that we as Christians have put on this experience over the years. We've, we've called this the dark night of the soul. We've called it spiritual depression, but at, at the heart is this reality that we feel forgotten by God, as if he's left us, as if he has abandoned us. And that's what we're feeling, but then our feelings are also validated by the experiences that we have. If we look into the world and we we don't see God answering our prayers, we're experiencing a lot of turmoil. Maybe there's relationships that have been strained. We're, We're trying to read God's word and we're just not finding it enjoyable. We have very little motivation to love others. Maybe there's been some sense of trauma and all of these experiences compiled to leave us in this place where we feel forgotten by God, right? Deep down in your soul, there's this ache that says, Lord, where are you? 
Not only are all of those experiences that I just mentioned common to us as Christians, but this feeling of being abandoned by God has been part of our Christian experience as well. If, if, again, if you have not yet been in this place where you feel abandoned by God, you likely will at some point. 2020 has been a challenging year, to say the least, for all of us. And may, maybe the events that have unfolded this year have left you in this place where you are feeling forgotten, right? Everything in life looks different than it did eight months ago. Work, church, family, relationships, even going to the grocery store looks different. And all of these experiences just compile to this place where we may feel as if God has forgotten you. And if you're in that place this morning, I want you to hear me that there is no shame in feeling that way. Right? You shouldn't believe you're any less a Christian for feeling distant from God. In fact, the entire course of the last 2,000 years of Christian history, we see that some of the most faithful and courageous and thoughtful Christians have all been in this place at some point in time where they have felt distant from God or that he has forgotten them. In our psalm today, Psalm 13, David feels no different than that. He was called a man after God's own heart, and yet he experienced time and time again in his life feeling forgotten by God. And so if that's where you are today or you've been there, you likely will. I want to try and answer this question for us from Psalm 13. Is that what do we do when we feel as if God has abandoned us? What do we do? How do we respond in these seasons? Maybe these seasons last for a day, a month, a year. What do we do when we feel as if God has forgotten us? And Psalm 13 is going to give us a snapshot. It's not the full picture Right? There's much more in the scriptures that we could talk about in relation to this, but I want to look specifically at Psalm 13 today. Just follow along with me as I read Psalm 13. It's a psalm of David. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to see three different movements in our passage today. Each of them is going to be broken up with two different verses. We'll have a PowerPoint up here on the screen. But the first thing that we see is David crying out in the midst of his problem and his pain. In the midst of his problem and his pain. Four times, if you look down there at those first two verses, four times David asks this question, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And you can feel the anguish in these questions that he's asking, crying out of this place of feeling forgotten by God. Let's just look at these questions that David asks of the Lord. The first two, he says, will you forget me forever? Will you forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? Now, David's not looking and asking God for a specific answer to those questions as if he's asking God, will it be five more minutes or another year? What David's doing, though, is he is expressing a deep place of grief over the fact that he feels forgotten by God or abandoned by God. There's great sorrow in the way that he's crying out. 
I've been serving in some form of pastoral ministry now for the last eight years. And 2020 has been by far the most difficult and challenging season. There, there have been so many things that I want to celebrate, and the Lord has been kind in so many ways. It's a song that we sang earlier. God is good. He is always good to us. Yet this has been a year where it seems like all of his kindness and all of his, all of his goodness has been met by hardship after hardship after hardship. And I know my experience this year is not really any different than what we've all been walking through. But time and time again, I have been crying out in prayer, how long, Lord, is my heart going to be filled with sorrow all the day? Because not only, not only is it my suffering that I have to bear and the sorrow of that, but our church, the church in Boise and then here in the valley and across the nation as we're struggling and suffering, how long, oh Lord, are we going to endure with this and our heart's going to be filled with sorrow? Again, I'm not the only person feeling this way. I'm assuming this morning that you are as well. Now, if you look at Psalm 13, we don't know all of the circumstances that were going on in David's life at this particular time that led him to write this. Scholars have thrown out theories, but at the end of the day, we don't really know. But what we do know is that David is in a profound place of grief, and he's expressing the problem of feeling forgotten by God as well as the pain that that has caused his soul. Now, I know I've used that word feeling a lot to describe what's going on in these opening verses. David is feeling very intensely that God has forgotten him. And I want to say that that is a legitimate feeling. And I want us to sit in that for a second. I want to take a moment and actually affirm and validate the feelings that God has given us. It is okay to feel a certain way. Right? When we look at the men and women of God all through Scripture, and when we look at Jesus himself, we see people who felt things very deeply in their relationship with the Lord, and they expressed those feelings to God, as we see David doing here. So God has created us in his image and likeness, and part of that is having feelings and experiencing very deep emotions. And in particular here, we see that there will be times and seasons as if we feel that God has forgotten us. But I want you to see what happens here in verse 3. David takes the pain and the grief that he's confessing here in verses 1 and 2, and in verse 3, he takes this in prayer to the Lord. Look down at verse 3. Now we see his prayer. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. So he's quite literally begging the Lord to listen to him. But I want you to notice this. Even though he's feeling forgotten by God, what does he do there in verse 1? He still confesses this truth that God is his God. He feels forgotten and abandoned, but he says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. He says, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's begging God for understanding. That's what it means to light up his eyes. Give me understanding. Give me your blessing. Allow me to see the peace that you bring into my life, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Don't let me die like this, he says. He's saying, Lord, I don't want to die feeling forgotten by you. Just as a side note, these psalms are teaching us how to pray. It's okay to cry out to the Lord like this. And David continues his prayer. He says, consider and answer me, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. So at the end of verse 2, David asked, if we look back there, he says, how long is my enemy going to be exalted over me? And now he's asking God, to answer his prayer so that his enemy won't prevail over him and be able to rejoice out of that place of David being shaken. So all throughout the Psalms, this word enemy 
keeps popping up. And it can refer to someone who's literally physically attacking David and Israel. Maybe it's by war or violence, but it can also refer to people who hate God. An enemy can be someone who hates God, someone who hates those who are faithful to God. And in this context, that's how enemies being used. As someone who hates David because of his faithfulness to the Lord, someone who hates God because of his faithfulness to his people or for whatever reason, this is why David is asking God to light up his eyes, give him understanding, allow me, he's saying, allow me to see the blessing that you've placed in my life. David wants to feel and know and experience God's presence again so that his enemies won't win. Right? David doesn't want them to have this satisfaction of being able to say to him, you see, your God doesn't actually care about you. He's forgotten you. David doesn't want his enemies to be able to say, look, God doesn't, isn't actually answering your prayer. He's turned his face from you, in fact. Right? David is so passionate about God that he doesn't want to give his enemies even the smallest suspicion that God has forgotten him. But there's a little bit of irony in this prayer. Again, if you look down there, David, even though he's feeling forgotten by God, that God has abandoned him or turned his face from him, he's still praying, which actually only strengthens his case over his enemies, right? Because even though David is feeling forgotten, as if God has turned his face away, David is still crying out to his God, saying, return to me, allow me to see Allow me to understand and know what you're doing in my life. So if you're in that place today, if if 2020 has just been that year for you where you're feeling forgotten, abandoned, left alone by the Lord, and you are still praying and crying out to him, you're in the right place. This is where the Lord wants us to be in these seasons. So then David turns from his prayer to trusting in God's provision. Look, Look down there, verses five and six. We see the provision I want to read those two verses again. David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. So again, despite the way that he's feeling, despite everything that has come before this, David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So the reason I use that word feeling so many times throughout this sermon is because I want to make this point. Brothers and sisters, there will be times and seasons in our life where we may feel as if God has left us, forgotten us, abandoned us, turned his face away. But the truth is that he has not abandoned us. He has not forgotten us. And David's first statement here in verse five bears this out. Look down there again with me at verse five. I have trusted in your steadfast love. So God's steadfast love is key to understanding how it is that we navigate through these seasons where we're feeling forgotten. So let's just parse this word out here for a second. God's steadfast love, it's one of the most important themes that we see all throughout the entire Bible, but particularly in the Old Testament, 246 times God's love is referred to and described as steadfast. 246 times it is referred to as steadfast, and that doesn't even include all of the other glorious ways that God's love is described all throughout the Old Testament as him being gracious and merciful over and over again. I don't know if you've considered that word steadfast or steadfast love, but it's referring to a love that doesn't end. It's a love that's unshakable. It's a love that endures through all things. 
Steadfast love, it conveys this idea of God's loyalty and his favor toward particular people, his people, you here today. Steadfast love actually takes us inside, follow me here, inside the mind of God, where we learn that he has chosen and purposed in himself to set his love upon a particular people forever and never to remove that love. Steadfast love is what we read about in Ephesians 1 where it says, from before the foundations of the world in eternity past, God set his heart on you to love you all the way into eternity future. That's not something that he is going to remove. It's steadfast. The book of Lamentations Uh, I know it's not a book that we probably spend a ton of time in, but Lamentations chapter three, read these verses. Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 through 24 says this. Just, Just hear these words wash over you today. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You see what David's done in verses five and six in the midst of feeling abandoned by God is that he turns to trust in what he knows to be true. You see, truth is essential to navigating these seasons of our lives where we feel abandoned by God. We feel distant from him. We feel as if he's forgotten us or turned his face from us. Truth is essential. And so here's, there's three truths that David is confessing simultaneously here in verses five and six. What David is doing broadly is he is rejoicing in God's provision for him. And that works itself out in three truths. We see God's provision manifest itself in his steadfast love, his salvation, and his bounty. Again, if you look down there at verses five and six, he says, I've trusted in your steadfast love, I will rejoice in your salvation because you have dealt bountifully with me. And these are not ideas that are just isolated to these few verses alone. All through the Psalms, we see these coming over and over and over again as the writers praise God for who he is and what he's done in the midst of a myriad of different circumstances. All the ups, all the downs when God feels distant and when he feels close. I want you to think about this. At the time that David wrote Psalm 13, he did not know the extent to which God would go to manifest his love and his salvation and his bounty among his people. When David wrote Psalm 13, he only saw in part what you and I see now fully in Jesus. God's ultimate provision for his people the, man of, the perfect manifestation of his love and salvation and bounty comes to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to secure our salvation in full. And this is something that David only saw in part through the Old Testament sacrificial system. But now you and I, on this side of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we see in full what David was pointing toward all along. So I said that truth is essential for us to navigate these seasons when we feel God is distant. The gospel is the central truth which informs us as we navigate these seasons. 
It's the gospel that speaks to me in these seasons where I'm continually crying out, Lord, how long? How long do I have to bear these burdens? How long do I have to feel sorrow? How long are you going to hide your face from me? It's the gospel that speaks truth to me that God has not abandoned me. So when God feels distant, when I can't see him working, it's his love and salvation and bounty that has been given to me in Jesus that anchors my faith in him. Yes, my feelings are strong, but the truth of the gospel is stronger. How do we make sense of this then? How do I make sense of the fact that God loves me, that he has given Jesus to me, united me to him through Jesus, yet I also feel distant from him? I don't claim to have all the answers today. That would take a long time, but I I wanna point us back to the cross to answer that question. How do I make sense of this feeling distant from God with this truth that he doesn't abandon his people? I want us to look once again at the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he bore in his body the wrath of God on our behalf for our sin. He was on the cross as our substitute. He became sin for us. But before his death on the cross, he cried out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus' story didn't end there and neither will yours. Because like Jesus, our stories are marked by resurrection hope. So although Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father raised him to new life three days later at his resurrection. Right? And he returned in glory to be seated at the right hand of the Father in perfect unity with him. And you see, as Christians, our lives take on this same cruciform pattern where there's constantly death and resurrection, which means that you can rest assured that if you are in a place today where you feel abandoned by God, you're in this place of the dark night of the soul, God will bring about resurrection He will return to you that feeling of his presence. And here's here's even the better news. If you were to die today feeling abandoned by God, if you have truly trusted him, you will awake in his presence for all eternity, never to be abandoned or forsaken by him again. Right? Never to have that feeling of being forsaken by him. And so here's what this means for us. In these seasons where we feel as if God has forgotten us, he hasn't. Feeling forsaken is not the same as being forsaken. So here's what I've been working through this year as I've been struggling with feeling forgotten or this feeling of deep sorrow over the way that things are right now. The dark night of the soul, feeling forgotten by God, is a season of my life that he has ordained for me to learn how to live by faith and not by sight. I feel forgotten I'm not seeing my prayers being answered. That's what it looks like to live by sight. But to live by faith means that I'm clinging to the promises and the truth of God in the gospel, even though what I'm seeing in my life right now doesn't seem to make sense. I feel abandoned. That's sight, but faith tells me I have not been abandoned. Sight tells me that God is distant, Faith tells me he is nearer now to me than I could have ever hoped. You see, the scriptures, this book is the window into understanding what's going on when we feel forgotten by God. 
But brothers and sisters, I, I wanna be clear today that being or feeling forgotten is not the same as actually being forgotten. And this is a season, if you are walking through right now, you can know that this is a God-ordained season for you to learn to live by faith and not by sight. And these are things that God does for us, for our good and for his glory. It's in these seasons that we have to remain faithful to continue to press into what God has called us to, to live by faith, not by sight, to continue to trust his promises that we see starting at the beginning of scripture and culminating at the end with the return of Jesus. There's a quote that's been helpful for me through this time um, from a theologian named R.C. Sproul. He says this. He said, the presence of faith gives no guarantee of the absence of spiritual depression. So just because we have faith does not mean that we will not walk through seasons of, of feeling forgotten or spiritual depression. He says, however, the dark night of the soul always gives way to the brightness of the noonday light of the presence of God. That's that cruciform pattern that we're talking about. Feeling forgotten by God, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? I feel forgotten. And then him returning to us, the beauty, the glory, the feeling of his presence. So brother or sister, if you are in that place today where you are feeling forgotten by God, my encouragement to you is to cling to the promise that God has given to us in the gospel that from before the foundations of the world, he set his love on you, that he would not abandon you and that he would see your faith through to completion, not just in this life, but to the day that you stand before him in glory. He will not abandon you and he will not abandon you for your good and for his glory because in remaining faithful to you, he's remaining faithful to himself. Rev 22, would you join me as I pray? Father, um, I just ask that you would meet us here today. Lord, I know that this year has been difficult for many of us. It is, it is a, a year that you have ordained for us from before the foundations of the world that we may walk in. I pray that you would give us faith. Father, that we would not lose hope, but Lord, those of us who are close to living, losing hope, I pray that you would manifest your presence your promises among us that we would know that you are still God and you are still with us. We just beg of these things of you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're gonna turn to partaking in communion together today. And before we do that, I, I wanna read uh, a verse from the Gospel of John. It says this. Jesus, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. As we partake in communion this morning, what we're doing is clinging to the promises that God has given us that he will not forsake us. Communion is a sign and a seal that God has fulfilled his promises toward us in Jesus and that he will not forsake us. When you come to the table and you hold in your hand that bread and that cup, you are holding in your hands a tangible representation of the promises of God to you 
fulfilled in Jesus, that he will not forsake you. And so as the band is playing, you can just take a moment and pray, and then when you're ready, you can go grab communion and and partake of it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.